Hey, welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website, KimMunson.com. And uh, you may have uh, taken a look at the newsletter and also our promos and thought you were going to hear Jenny Hulin and Patty Kurgan and uh, Susan Kochevar in studio with me today. But a couple of things. I mean, it's very, very snowy, and I got this email from uh, Rob Nadelson that he had this piece in the Epic Times about... Uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz and, and his claims at the Senate. And so it worked out, Rob. Uh, you were supposed to be on the show today, so welcome. Hi, how are you, Kim? I am good. And you are a constitutional expert. And you've written a book, The Original Constitution, What It uh, Actually Said and Meant. Uh, so let's talk about this piece, though, that you have in the Epic Times. This is pretty amazing. The title is Dershowitz Was Correct, Impeachment Does Require Criminal-Type Conduct. It is amazing, and one of the things about it is that um, it represents a very great change in my own opinion. Um, wow. I wrote in my book, The Original Constitution, and I've written subsequently that the term uh, high misdemeanors, that the, the constitutional phrase, as you know, for impeachment mm -hmm. is uh, treason, um, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. But we know from the founding era that that word high, which modifies crimes, high crimes, also applies to misdemeanors, so it's high misdemeanors. Okay. Um, I, I had written that high misdemeanors uh, essentially meant breach of fiduciary duty, the breach of the kind of duties that people owe who uh, manage other people's affairs. Well, Dershowitz got me thinking again, and um, I said, gee, you know, what is it I haven't looked at? I had looked at um, all the sources that constitutional scholars usually looked at, but in this area, I had not examined the law books of the 18th century. I said, well, gee, maybe they define high misdemeanors because those law books have helped me out previously. After all, the Constitution is a legal document, and it was drafted mostly by lawyers. And sure enough, I find that the term high misdemeanors was very common in 18th century law, and it didn't generally mean breach of fiduciary duty. It meant something much more serious. Where do you find these books, Rob? In 2005, I spent a research sabbatical at Oxford University. And I spent a lot of time in their law library and somewhat less time in their general library and some time in the library of the Middle Temple, which is one of the four institutions for training barristers in England. What's interesting about the Middle Temple, it's where a number of our own founders, like uh, Edmund Rutledge and, um, and John Dickinson, got their own legal education. And so I became very familiar with the books at that time. In the interim, um, a, uh, uh, a publishing company started putting online a lot of 18th century sources that included many of these books. So I became familiar with the books at Oxford. Um, I photographed... Uh, critical pages of many of them, but I also found them uh, increasingly online. And since I knew now knew what to look for, I've got this whole huge library of um, English uh, case reports, of treatises on the law, of uh, what, what are called digests, where they take bits of the law and they arrange them in alphabetical order. Um, so that kind of information, dictionaries also, and I also checked, Kim, to see which of these English law books, because they mostly are English, actually were used in America. And so naturally, 
there were a lot of competing law dictionaries, but when I learned that the law dictionary of, of Giles Jacob was the most popular in America, well, that, that's usually my first stop when I look for law dictionaries. And they, they all have some really interesting things to say about high misdemeanors. Okay. Well, uh, this piece, you know, we're kind of going through this step by step. But uh, first of all, I find it kind of interesting. I mean, you are an expert on the Constitution. And after all these years, for you to hear Dershowitz, you know, say something that challenged you, and you're like, I'm going to go check that out. And, and you said you were skeptical, but as you checked it out, you, you seem to find something that changed your mind. I, I find that, first of all, intellectually honest to, uh, to make sure that, that you're continuing to, to challenge yourself on these very important issues that are facing our country right now, Rob. Well, thank you. We have, we have too many people out there who hold themselves out as constitutional experts and in some cases have the credentials of constitutional experts, but their attitude is whatever I like must be mandated by the Constitution, and whatever I don't like must be prohibited by the Constitution. I'm sorry, law and history is not that way. It, it, it's simply the way things uh, are, not the way you'd necessarily like them to be. I mean, I've, I've also encountered situations where I've had to change my mind in a direction which I find politically unpleasing, uh, that I didn't didn't like what I found, but I reported it nevertheless, and we could talk about that someday. But let's talk about high misdemeanors, okay? Okay, let's do... Uh, and what is a misdemeanor? Well, in today, we think of it as a lesser offense. At the time of the founding, a misdemeanor was any crime, whether it was uh, treason, the worst crime of all, or whether it was, um, you know going too fast on your on your carriage through the through, through town <laughs> okay. all of those all of those were misdemeanors and so what the law did is they categorized these crimes all crimes are misdemeanors but at the very top there's treason high treason it's called and high, because there was a lower a petty treason but let's just focus on high treason that was obviously disloyalty to king and country or in the united states is defined in the constitution as giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the United States. And the penalty for that was a really heinous punishment called drawing and quartering, which I'll spare it as description right now. Then a, uh, another type of uh, misdemeanor, a little lower than that, were uh, felonies. Felonies uh, included all the things we think of today as felonies, like burglary, arson, murder, rape. What distinguished felonies in 18th century law, though, is that they were all punishable by death. And it was death not by drawing and quartering, thank goodness, but by hanging. And this, this vocabulary, by the way, was carried over directly to the United States. I found statutes passed by Congress in the 1790s that use exactly the same vocabulary, as does the uh, article, Articles of Confederation. Then below felony were serious crimes that did not merit the death penalty. Um, assault is a good example. Uh, allowing a traitor to escape, allow, if, if you abetted his escape, uh, permitted, assisted his escape, then you were guilty of a felony. But if you simply you know, allowed him to escape and didn't do anything, then, then that was a crime, but it didn't amount to a felony. Uh, bribery is another example. Those offenses were called high misdemeanors, and they were punished by 
um, very stiff fines and jail sentences. So that in the in uh, 1794, 1797, and 1798, Congress passed a series of laws which designated as high misdemeanors certain uh, actions that tended to interfere with American law or American foreign policy, designated them as high in- misdemeanors, and uh, provided that they were punishable by anywhere from one to five years in prison and by fines up to $5,000, which was a lot of money in mm-hmm. those days. Mm-hmm. In all my research, I could find only one non-crime that was designated um, a high misdemeanor, and that uh, essentially was medical malpractice because of a of a danger to human life. So, uh, just just to give you, just to let you know that this isn't just me talking. Here's a here's a, a sentence from the dictionary by Nicholas Bailey, a popular dictionary issued in the 1760s. So, just about 10 years before the American uh, Declaration of Independence. High misdemeanor, a crime of a heinous nature, next to high treason. Here's a here's a, a definition from Chambers Cyclopedia, a very popular, very large, detailed encyclopedia uh, issued in 1778. High crimes and misdemeanors denote offenses of heinous nature, next to high treason. So we're not talking here about an improper conversation with a foreign official. We're talking here about serious crimes. Uh, here's Blackstone, probably the most, I'm sorry, no, here's the Encyclopedia Britannica of 1778. Misdemeanor, in law signifies a crime. Um, and it goes on to say every crime is a misdemeanor, but we call the most serious ones felonies. Um, and so you can see the pattern here that um, that a high misdemeanor is not simply a breach of fiduciary duty or maladministration, as was proposed at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, the, the word maladministration was suggested and rejected by the founders in favor of high misdemeanors. So that suggests that Alan Dershowitz was right all along. I don't think that Alan Dershowitz actually checked out all these legal sources. I think he reached the right conclusion, maybe a little bit by accident, but it is the right conclusion. Okay, fascinating. Let's go to break, uh, Rob, because it looks like uh, the vote is going to occur tomorrow. Uh, at least that's what I think is going to happen. Uh, I have you a mean few. Re- re- right, right. Yeah, yeah I have a so. few other questions, though. Uh, I, um, if you would, I'd like to have you compare uh, Trump's defense team to the House managers and how you think that uh, those arguments looked, uh, because I'd love to get your perspective on that. So this is Kim Munson. I'm talking with Rob Nadelson about his uh, really important piece in the Epic Times, uh, and uh, really goes through that uh, Alan Dershowitz was correct. Uh, Impeachment does require criminal-type conduct. And uh, uh, let's go to break. When we come back, we'll be right back with uh, Rob Nadelson. Award-winning realtor Karen Levine has 30 years of experience with REMAX Alliance. As a director with the National Association of Realtors, Karen Levine works to protect private property rights. Karen Levine believes in home ownership. Because of Karen's love of dogs, Karen volunteers with GER, Golden Retriever Rescue of the Rockies, helping Golden Retrievers find their forever homes. Choose Karen Levine to buy or sell your home because she understands that it's more than just a house. 
Karen Levine comes highly recommended by Kim Munson. Call award-winning realtor Karen Levine with Remax Alliance today at 303-877-7516. That's 303-877-7516. All of Kim's sponsors are an inclusive partnership with Kim and are not affiliated with or in partnership with KLZ or Crawford Broadcasting. If you would like to support the work of the Kim Munson Show and grow your business, contact Kim at her website, KimMunson.com. That's Kim Munson, M-O-N-S-O-N.com. Welcome back to the Kim Munson Show. I am Kim Munson, and uh, on the line with me is Rob Nadelson. Uh, and he is, uh, has a really important piece in the Epic Times. Dershowitz was correct. Impeachment does require criminal-type conduct. And just a quick note, uh, Rob, I uh, was at a meeting this weekend, and somebody pulled out the Epic Times and said, this is the newspaper that people should be receiving, that it has good reporting, and the op-eds are op-eds, but they keep most of the opinion over on the op-ed page. And, uh, I mean, you have been published in the Epic Times a number of uh, on a number of different occasions, Rob. I'm one of their regular columnists. By the way, uh, for those of you who don't have access to the Epic Times, I will tell you that this morning my article was republished in Complete Colorado. Okay. And so you can just enter Complete Colorado in your, in your uh, browser. Um, I also wanted to mention the implication of all these findings, Kim, and that is, of course, that the articles of impeachment are uh, – they, they don't state a case. Uh, I never thought that the obstruction of Congress was a valid grounds for impeachment. I did think that the abuse of power, or as they should have called it, called it self-dealing count, the first count, could be a basis for impeachment if it were uh, supported by evidence, big if there. But uh, but now it appears that both uh, impeachment accounts uh, accounts are or articles are legally deficient because they don't state a high misdemeanor because they don't state a crime or or criminal like behavior. So uh, under the circumstances, uh, the Senate would simply be justified, I think, in in uh, in dismissing them. Um, as far as the Epic Times is concerned. You know, when I first picked up a copy of it um, back about five years ago, I thought it was pretty amateurish. It was available in one of the one of the airports in Montana, and I wasn't terribly impressed. But over the years, they have pulled together a very good team of reporters and an increasingly good team of columnists, uh, myself accepted perhaps. <laughs> but um, uh, so when... Um, I was writing for the Daily Caller, and when I finally got uh, frustrated by some of the policies of the Daily Caller, I was looking for another place to go. And uh, investigation found that the Epic Times, while it didn't yet have as much traffic as the Daily Caller website, was surging and really ha is becoming the conservative-leaning uh, newspaper of record. I wouldn't really say that it's that's that it's completely unbiased or completely. It t does tend to learn, lean conservative, even on its news pages. Okay. But the reporting is is very good. I've worked with a number of the reporters; they're top notch, and um, you will get information that you get nowhere else. So I do strongly recommend the paper. As always, I never recommend that you ever rely upon just one right. source for news, though. Right. I mean, I often read. Uh, I often read The Guardian, 
which is a left-leaning paper coming out of England in order to get a better perspective. Well, and, and you need to make sure that you don't have just one filter. Uh, you know, we work really, really hard to always uh, make sure that we are, are, are correct and telling the truth. But, you know, it's pretty clear that we have an opinion on, uh, on, the, on the way that things you should know, go. And, and there are some, and while well, papers tend to read, lean left and right, there are some that do uh, at least uh, have journalistic standards. And, and certainly the Epic Times does and certainly the Guardian does. I increasingly wonder about the New York Times or the Washington Post, though. Yeah. Um, and, and as far as I'm concerned, the Denver Post has destroyed itself. It, it really has. It's really unfortunate. To, but uh, yeah. I want to ask it's, you— It's going to be a niche paper in the future, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, expensive, too. And, you know, a couple of other places to look here in Colorado. There, there's Complete Colorado. There is uh, Colorado Politics, the Gazette. You know, yeah. they, they're also, I think, uh, working on yeah, journalistic integrity. Colorado Politics is excellent. Uh, Complete Colorado, again, it re- leans right, but it does some really top-notch reporting. Uh the uh, the idea of there being a purely objective newspaper that always does the right thing, if that were ever true, it's certainly true no longer. So you do have to pick and choose. Right. And and, all, and, and always listen and look, to the Kim Munson show, too, because we're working hard yeah. to bring these uh, these things forward. And now, now you're talking about the, the top notch. <laughs> you got it. You got it. Hey, Rob Nadelson, a couple of things, though. Um, I read the complete transcript. I finally like, you know, I've got to read this. And uh, I think that people need to understand, first of all, what Adam Schiff said that the transcript said. It's not in there. The guy was not telling the truth. And weren't there like 20, 25 different people that regularly listen into these conversations between heads of state? So it wasn't like like uh, Trump was just talking to you know, to just the two of them. I mean, pe- people were listening in. He knew that. So can you address the fact that Adam Schiff said the transcript had something in it that it didn't? Well, he's done that before, right? Uh, by the way, it's technically not a transcript. It was a summary of the conversation because it wasn't exactly word for word. Um, however, he has, as I just said, uh, exaggerated it before. The, I will say that the House case was very disappointing. Uh, to mention the Epic Times again, I wrote an article when they first started this proceeding saying you need to follow due process standards, not just because that's fair, but also because due process standards make sure that, you, uh, that what your conclusions are reliable. I mean, if you have, de- if you have decent cross-examination, it's hard for a tissue of lies to survive. If you allow the president... Uh, to have his attorney in the hearing and call his own witnesses, you're going to come up, even if you ultimately decide to, to impeach, you're going to come up with a much better project, a, pro- a product. Well, they didn't do that. They put it, it together in a slapdash thing. I mean, uh, Senator Murkowski made that point, I guess, yesterday. It was just uh, disgraceful. And it has been from the beginning. Uh, but you mentioned on the, you mentioned the comparison between the, the, uh, President's lawyers and the House managers, you know, I, I'm not a journalist, like, uh, and so I, I cannot spend the time to sit listening to all these arguments. But I will point out that there were some moments where the House managers, particularly um, Nadler, fell on their face. I mean, uh, Gerald Nadler is a guy who's never done anything but serve in politics. 
has no business trying to prosecute a case, any case, much less a case as serious as an impeachment. And one thing you learn very early on in litigation is you don't insult the judge and the jury. Well, he did that twice by saying that they were on trial and engaged in a cover-up. I mean, for crying out loud, um, this is this is like amateur hour. And so uh, I think the House managers did suffer from uh, the fact that they were really not professionals at what they were doing, where people like uh, Dershowitz and Sekulow clearly are. Well, and, and certainly, well, and, and, and certainly Starr. Well, and to that point, apparently Jason Crow, uh, in, and I think he's supposed to be, an, wasn't he an attorney in, uh, in uh, the military? I was thinking he was. Anyway, you know, he's one of the House managers. He's, um, you know, the representative from uh, CD6 here in Colorado. And uh, so, again, one of those that's supposed to be bringing the case against uh, Donald Trump. And apparently he is quoting uh, Dumbledore, talking about Dumbledore from Harry Potter. And I'm, when I heard that, I'm like, honestly, really? We, we're trying to impeach a, a president, and one of the accusers is talking about Dumbledore from uh, Harry Potter? I mean, I, I thought that was kind of wild, Rob. I don't know if you were aware of that or not. Well, it indicates that the Democrats' case was built on ledger domain and magic, right? <laughs> it, wasn't a real, it wasn't a real world case. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't remember every moment of Bill Clinton's impeachment hearings, but my recollection is that Bill Clinton hired top talent. I mean, uh, Bob Bennett, for example, was one of his lawyers, one of the top lawyers in, um, in Washington, D.C., and you just did not see that level of professionalism among the impeachment case in the impeachment case here. And I think the reason for that was that they knew this was doomed. They were catering to their party's uh, crazies. Um, they wanted to create a public relations splash. They, they knew the media would go along. And an evidence of that is the fact that as soon as the Republicans stood up to put on their case, the media distracted and started talking about uh, – uh, Bolton's book instead, so that people wouldn't pay attention to the Republican case. Um, and so they figured that, that was a way to proceed, but I, I don't think it's worked. Okay, and one other thing, uh, because I think everyday people that are kind of watching this, they're hearing that, oh my gosh, the Senate did not allow any witnesses. But uh, over in the House is where the case was supposed to be made. And my understanding right. is the Democrats called 17 witnesses and Trump was able to call one. Uh, and so people need to understand that that was not a real fair due process, if you will, Rob Nadelson, and we have about a minute left. Well, that, that's right. I mean, it's not the Senate's job to do the House's work for it. But actually, the Senate went beyond what it should have, in my view. The Senate uh, amended uh, Mitch McConnell's original, original uh, resolution to provide that all the material that came from the House uh, was automatically admitted into evidence unless specifically uh, objected to. I think that was wrong to do that because much, much of that material was pure hearsay. In fact, from what I gather, most of the critical facts were, were just hearsay. So I would have voted against that amendment. My point is that not only did the Senate not suppress evidence, the Senate actually went farther than it should have gone in admitting evidence that was inherently unreliable. And, on, and inadmissible. 
Well, those are really important points. And uh, uh, so it's just really been a lot of uh, political theater. But I love what you do, Rob Nadelson, this piece in the Epic Times regarding Dershowitz and then your intellectual integrity to go out and really check that out. I so appreciate it. So thanks so much for being with me this morning. Thank you. And again, Epic Times or Complete Colorado. Okay, Rob Nadelson, you have a great day. Bye-bye. Okay. And Calvin Coolidge is our quote for today. He says, don't expect to build up the weak by pulling down the strong. So today, read great books, think good thoughts, listen to beautiful music, communicate and listen well, live honestly and authentically, strive for high ideals and like Superman, stand for truth, justice, and the American way. This is Kim Munson signing off. God bless you, and God bless America. and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker, commentators, hosts, their guests, and callers. They are not necessarily the views and opinions of Crawford Broadcasting or KLZ management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station. KLZ AM HD Denver, the source AM and FM, AM 560 and 100.7 FM, 560thesource.com.